Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Inside Grappa podcast. I'm Dr Charlotte Gollins, a dermatology registrar currently working in Bath, England, and I'm a young grappian. I'm delighted to be with you today for this hopefully interesting and informative show. With these podcasts, we're trying to unravel and better understand the updated grappa treatment recommendations for psoriatic arthritis, which were published in 2022. One of the founding missions of Grappa was to develop recommendations for the optimal treatment of patients with psoriatic arthritis based upon the best scientific evidence and to keep these updated as evidence changed over time. The last recommendations were published in 2015 and so we're very keen to delve into the new recommendations to find out how we can improve treatments and outcomes for our patients. The Grappa treatment recommendations are divided into six sections representing the six domains of psoriatic arthritis and today we're focusing on the psoriasis domain. I'm thrilled to say that joining me today to discuss this important topic are two internationally recognised experts in the field of psoriasis who have both deeply involved in the development of the guidelines. Firstly, we have Dr Christina Duffin, who's Professor and Chair of the Dermatology Department at the University of Utah. Welcome and thank you very much for joining us today, Dr Duffin. Thank you very much, Dr Gollins. It's a pleasure to be here. We also have Dr. Joseph Morola, who is Professor and Chair of the Department of Dermatology at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Morola. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. We have an exciting show lined up for you today, so let's get started. Firstly, Dr. Duffin, would you please be able to explain to us the process of the development of this recommendation? Who is involved? How does it work? And were there any changes from the previous update? The process of developing the GRAPA recommendations is a bit of a long one, and it is challenging because it is a lot of work, but it is very methods-based and starts really with what do we want the output to be in terms of the domains and the strength of recommendation. So that is done at the annual meeting and during committee time internationally on Zoom. And what then follows is selection of two, three, four leaders who oversee the whole process in this round. For this round, we had Dr. Coates, Dr. Kavanaugh, and Dr. Soriano lead through the process to assign the domain leaders to lead the discussions on what the process would be, what our output would be. And then after domain leaders who are experts in each of those domains are selected, we then inclusively bring together physicians around the world, dermatologists and rheumatologists appropriate to each domain. From there, the domain leaders each get to do their own thing from the perspective of the psoriasis or skin domain. We select leaders and dermatologists with some rheumatology input because Dr. Marola on the team is also a rheumatologist. And from there, we look at the data. The data is extracted by a librarian, very experienced in doing systematic literature review and data extraction. The data is provided to the whole group, and then we each jump into our domains to really dig in there, review the data, and discuss it so that we can then come back to what the final output is going to be, which is the strength of the recommendations. Is the data supporting the efficacy and safety in each of those domains? So that is the work of each domain, writing their own paper. And then at the end of the day, we bring that all together for the final GRAPA recommendations paper. The skin domain, because this was our collective experience, 
has the challenge of deciding, do we want to look at skin psoriasis in psoriatic arthritis trials or skin psoriasis across all trials? The data that we end up selecting was within the psoriatic arthritis studies because there are so many psoriatic arthritis studies that have the skin measures. That isn't always true for every domain because we don't always measure everything for all the domains in every single study. And we just also have to select what measures we're going to look at because that's also hard to. Uh, not every study, for example, has the same physician global assessment. And so we had to determine what is comparable across studies. Great. Thank you very much. It's very interesting to get an insight into it. It's quite a complex process and how these recommendations come together. Dr. Morola, what were some of the challenges you faced when developing the skin domain of the treatment recommendation? Were there any challenges particular to this domain specifically? Well, you asked the tough questions first, Dr. Collins. So I'll mention, if I may, and Christina highlighted nicely already one of the strengths across domains, including skin, which is that it is very much a methods-based and rigorous process, right? And it's also run by experts who oversee it. And I think that really brings a lot of value and quality to the output that we have. The very fact that it's domain-based, I had mentioned, is a big strength. One of the challenges I would say, and I'll start with skin to answer your question directly, is that it is probably not as prescriptive as many clinicians might necessarily want, right? If they pull the graphic guidelines out in the middle of a clinic visit while trying to make a decision for the patient in front of them, I think it would be challenging, right? So it is rigorous methods-based and it does inform the community tremendously. I think that some of the practical or prescriptive pieces can be challenging. And my rheumatology colleagues are jealous about this on the derm side. We have a lot of head-to-head data in dermatology telling us specifically which mechanisms and which drugs are better than others in a patient with moderate, severe, and particular disease. And so to that end, I would say that probably future iterations And Christine and I have had this conversation many times together because we got to work together on the skin domain, likely should start to reflect both severity of skin disease as well as our current knowledge of head-to-head data in informing that hierarchy. Because I think many of us would think a bit differently about that in 2023 than we would have in the past. Great. Thank you very much. And Dr. Dustin, how do you think the uh, recommendations will impact on people with psoriasis and their clinical care? How important are these recommendations and guidelines? These recommendations are very important to GRAPA. It is one of the cornerstones of the work that the organization does. And I want to make sure we emphasize that they're recommendations and not guidelines. I think guidelines connotes local, sometimes governmentally determined guidelines on treatment selection. And so we have always called this the treatment recommendations. And what I really love about them, as Dr. Morola said, we have these domains, right? We have the domains of psoriatic arthritis, including skin psoriasis, as well as comorbidities, right? We have broadened our focus over the last several years and really honed in on how we should aim our strength of recommendation or strength of not recommendation. But it paints broad strokes, so it provides a lot of flexibility to the clinician So for example, if a patient has really severe psoriasis and axial disease, your treatment selection might be very different than somebody who has only peripheral disease and mild psoriasis. So it allows you to look into those domains and make treatment selections broadly where there are data supporting them. Great. Thank you. And I suppose, Dr. Stefan, taking from that, do you see that these recommendations will be used in different ways in different clinical settings? So for example, different countries or in, in different types of clinical settings? 
I absolutely think that the recommendations are applicable across the globe because they paint such broad strokes. So if you are in a region where you have limited selections compared to, say, the United States, where we have a lot of selection, I think it allows the clinicians to tailor their care around the data. So another example might be if a patient has psoriatic arthritis and they failed a number of agents, but then their skin disease becomes really difficult, I think that helps a rheumatologist look to say, okay, I'm not going to choose a drug that doesn't have good recommendations in the skin domain, right? And I think it also would help across our countries to really understand approaches to this. I think it also helps perhaps locally as we're all developing guidelines, it will also help us with guideline development in the local regions. Thank you very much. So Dr. Morelli, you did touch earlier on the uh, challenges to practicing clinicians with following these guidelines. If you have anything further to add to that or expand on that, that would be really interesting yeah. uh, for us to hear. I think there's a couple of challenges. And again, I, I don't want to sound like we have the positive and the negative balance in our discussion. I think a few of the challenges are with any treatment recommendations, of course, they are only up to date to the point of being published, right? So even already, you know, we have new mechanisms and new drugs that didn't even make it to the list, right? And that's inherent to any of these things. One of the thoughts I've had for GRAPA, you know, and for others in the future is trying to have some form of living guidelines or treatment recommendations that live online, right? Perhaps could be updated in between publication points, and that might be an opportunity for the future. I think, again, they're not as practical or prescriptive. <clears throat> they do paint broad brushstrokes. I think that's a challenge, as I mentioned. One of the things I would say also is in real world practice, we often escalate in ways that are not necessarily on label. You know, and the truth is, I think there is value likely to, for example, dose escalation of a monotherapy biologic, which we often will do. Say if a PSA patient is not fully controlled, they're 80% controlled on their anti-TNF therapy, perhaps we dose escalate or combination scenarios, which we don't have here either necessarily in terms of guidance, right? Would I keep them on methotrexate and add a drug? Would I add a premolas to their current therapeutic? So I do think it's a great framework and skeleton on which to then add more practical nuance that comes up in practice that I think clinicians are looking for because there are many scenarios that wouldn't be otherwise covered in a broader, moderate, severe plaque psoriasis and PSA treatment guidance documents. So both good and bad. I think it gives us an overall framework, but I think in the real world, there are nuances that aren't covered. And again, give us opportunity for education and for other opportunities. And I think the beauty of GRAPA is this is a multi-pronged approach. We have the therapeutic guidance sort of backbone on which we have a really robust educational mission around which GRAPA will talk about things like unique patient scenarios and complex cases and projects difficult to treat. Yes, absolutely. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. And I suppose development of this guidelines also allows us to see what research gaps there are and things like that have been addressed by GRAPA before from the previous treatment recommendations, which are, again, a huge benefit from carrying these out so thoroughly. Dr. Stefan, how do you see the development of the guidelines moving forward? What happens next? I think we will continue to do this recommendation development every so often. I have a longing, which is that we make this a more ongoing, updated process. It's a lot of work, as I outlined before. It takes about the five-year time period just to plan it, 
do the work and then have our output. And about that time, as Dr. Morola said, we have to start over again. And it would be nice if it could be more real time. That would be my longing. The other aspect of this process that I would love to see is staying within our domain groups. I think we had an excellent, inclusive, diverse group that could then do more spinoff of, okay, we looked at the data for skin within psoriatic arthritis studies, but what about a review of just the skin and the head-to-head comparisons for just the skin domain so that if a patient has skin as their primary problem, that we would be informed by that. So I see in the future us having a more fluid process over the cycle of creating the recommendations and hopefully Grappa's leadership would agree that this would be important to do. And Dr. Molo, do you have anything to add in terms of the future progression of the guidelines? I know how much work goes into these and it's very nice to have a standardized methodology between work groups and such. I do think over time we'll have to get a little bit more nuanced within a few of the fields where we have differential data. You know, I think one of the pieces that we've struggled with, to be very specific, is, for example, looking at the skin data through the lens of PSA data, right, which is how we approach this. We sort of look at, well, patients who have psoriatic arthritis, now let's look at the psoriasis outcomes through that lens. And that is important, and it is a strict framework. I think at the same time, we may have to broaden our thought process and our willingness, for example, to infuse the wealth of actual psoriasis dedicated standalone data in that domain. And I, you know, I hope to be involved with Christina when we get there, because I do think there's been sort of a movement to think about that. Great. Yes, it'd be fantastic to be able to include, as you say, the wealth of psoriasis data that's out there as well. So to finish off our discussion today, I'm going to ask each of you to give a personal highlight or key takeaway from the recommendations that listeners should take on board. First, Dr. Duffin. My personal highlights of the process and the output of the GRAPA recommendations are the final table that we can continue to develop and progress. And I think it's really advancing this idea broadly that there are many domains to this disorder of psoriatic disease and its comorbidities. I love the process. I would love to continue to expand it and make it a better one, a more real-time one. And I hope that our patients and our colleagues find it helpful. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Dr. Morella. Yeah, I think I'll probably echo. I, I think my highlights are <clears throat> it remains a rigorous methods-based and double underscore domain-based approach that's extremely helpful to give us a framework around which to approach psoriatic disease. And that's been just instrumental in the field. will continue to be. I think that listeners will have to continue to augment and supplement their approach from a practical standpoint on the patient-by-patient basis with other GRAPA educational pieces, as well as thinking through real-world scenarios, combination-based approaches and such when they have those more challenging patients. This is a dynamic process. We'll continue to see it just improve and serve our community even better in the future. Absolutely. So thank you both for all your hard work. Thank you very much for joining today. I think it's been a really interesting insight into the workings of the psoriasis domain of the GRAPA treatment recommendations. So listeners, please take a look at the GRAPA website for other available podcasts in this series and subscribe for updates. See you next time.